Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! Sneaker History Podcast. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Sneaker History Podcast. We have a fantastic interview episode here for everybody. We're very fortunate to have Casper Copetti here with us. He is the co-chairman, executive co-chairman and co-founder of On Running, uh, one of our favorite brands here at the podcast. Uh, Casper, how are you doing today? How's your afternoon or evening? It's it's been a busy day, but I'm happy to to speak to you, Robbie. I'm Man. a big a big uh, uh, fan of uh, old sneakers, um, and I look forward to diving into that. Man, I think everybody has. I mean, we all have two feet, right? Or you know as humans in general. So having that ability to connect with footwear is something across the world. Um, I think many people have in common, um, for our listeners is a little bit about on, um, uh, was founded in 2010. Um, they have popular models here, like the cloud monster cloud X newer models, like the cloud go. Um, it's known for its cloud tech, which is this big old window area here for our visual listeners. Um, it's something that changes, from a personal experience, the way shoes feel on your feet when you run. I think that beginning story about, was it a garden hose being the, the early inspiration type? Is that the story that kind of goes? Um, it's something that feels completely unique and different. Um, really powerful shoe brand. Um, I, I'm so impressed and amazed with what you guys have been able to do in 12 Thanks, years. Well, no, if we don't mind, so if you, you know, that shared love of footwear, um, what was some of the earliest this f- footwear moments or shoe moments you had growing up? Yeah, look, I, I, I grew up with the three stripes, uh, you know, being, being, you know, at home and growing up in Switzerland. Um, I wasn't aware of the swoosh until I was maybe 10, 12 years old. But mm-hmm. the three stripes were it. All my heroes, my football heroes, were wearing uh, them, and you know, I remember, you know, I, I had these uh, kid shoes with the velcros, and, and and they were so cool. I had them in every color, and then it was the the Rome, and we, you know, we used it to play um, to play football in in the schoolyard. Um, but then my my first like real sneaker experience was when they came out with a a mid top that was all white, and you could color it yourself. Okay. And that was wild, um, and and of course they brought it back uh, decades later. But you know, it's that this this eighties um, and then nine. You know, I was born in seventy six, so you know, uh, you know, the eighties. I was like a teenager. You know, this was mm-hmm. amazing. And then obviously the nineties. Um, I I was a semi professional snowboarder, and I was on the junior national team in Switzerland. And so skateboarding was a thing, and I remember my DCs. You know that. 
They oh, looked yeah. and felt like it came, it came straight from the moon. It, it was awesome. Um, and then obviously a little bit of a, of a basketball influence. You know, when, when the Bulls played, we, we, we stayed up all night and, and, and watched it with friends. And actually just today, um, my, my business partner, Roger Federer, was here and we talked about those, those days. You know, we're roughly the same age. And um, yeah, uh, the, the Bulls definitely were, were, were magical. And obviously then the, the, the Jordans came along with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the the connection between DC footwear and being um, a snowboarder because those shoes are very similar and they make snowboarding boots, too, I believe. Um, just the overlap between the concrete and the snow feel of those shoes were uh, unmistakable. Um, such a good yeah, time. Actually, yeah, the first the first uh, version of on, you know, we, we, we decided when we were about, you know, we had the technology, we, we wanted to build a brand, we had a name, we needed a shoe designer. And, and we actually did a little bit of a of a beauty contest and we engaged two people that had already done a, 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 a sneaker or a running shoe. Um, and then a friend of, my, of mine who's also a, a good snowboarder approached me and said, look, hey, can I be part of this? And I said, well... What you know? It's difficult. Have you ever done a shoe? And it's like no, but every designer wants to do a chair, a car, and a shoe. And I've already done the chair. I'll probably never do a car. This is my chance to do a shoe. And what he did is, you know, all the others they did like your conventional, um, you know, running silhouette and mm-hmm. you know, a white base with some applications on the side. And and he came up with something very very different. And it actually had a little bit of a look like a DC. Um, and so I was like, well, this is, this is kind of cool. And, and we, end, we went with him and, and, you know, 12 years later, he's our, um, uh, you know, chief design officer. You oh, know, the wow. design team has grown to like 40 people. Um, he has made a name and a career for himself um, uh, with on. So it turned out uh, well for everybody. But, you know, the, definitely to, to change the way running shoes look, that was a big part of And I think it definitely, you know, it was inspired also by, by those influences in the past. That's so funny. Did you ever, or do you ever joke with him about going and designing the car? Now he's done the chair. He has the shoe. Where's the car? Absolutely. And actually, we had a little bit of a side hustle for a while where uh, we we owned a, a bike brand, and then he got to design bikes. So that was oh. also fun. But uh, yeah, um, fully focused on uh, on shoes and apparel, and you know, he does our offices and office office chairs and and what have you. Um, and he's also done a Swiss Army knife. So a big shout out to to, to you, Tilo. Uh, if you're listening to this, um, yeah, we've come a long way together. That is so fantastic. And this, the diversity there, um, the Swiss army knife, the, the play in there is just too much. Um, so actually that's a really great tie in to kind of the early days of on, um, it sounds like you've never been quite afraid to try something different. If you're taking a chance on a designer who's done chairs and now he's what, 12 years in with your senior footwear <laughs> design. So you weren't, doesn't sound like you were afraid to take very many risks um, early on. Is that one of the first lessons you learned to not be afraid of risk? Or what are some of the early things you learned as you started, co-founded this brand? Oh, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a, you know, a bit of a go-getter, a risk taker, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm jumping off a, off a cliff I'm on a snowboard. I'm usually the one for, to go first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it was different, you know, and I actually uh, starting on scared to shit out of us. Um, I'm not, is this a podcast we can swear on? You can definitely swear. I've been trying okay, to bite I'm, my I'm, own I'm, tongue, I'm, I'm so that's try okay. Not, not, not to do too much of it, but no, we were we were very afraid. And so 
you know, what you see as risk, we saw as opportunity. You know, we knew that we came onto the market with something that already existed. We wouldn't stand a chance. Um, and we were we were told many times over, look, um, you know, you're not going to stand a chance against the ASICs and Nikes of this of this world, right? Um, so we felt we, we needed to go different. We needed to, to be different, look different, uh, act different, think different. Um, and, and that's why, you know, we, we were emboldened by this technology that my co-founder, Olivier, co-developed that absorbs shock in a, in a very different way. He quickly mentioned, um, but basically we don't only absorb uh, shock horizontally, uh, vertical like everybody else, but been mm-hmm. running, you're moving forward. So um, these elements actually fold back and you're able to glide into your step. But then um, similar to playing tennis on a clay court, you're able to slide in, but then once you push off, you don't want to slide back. And so basically we, we own a patent on on mimicking that movement as you would be a sliding on sand or a similar uh, surface. So long story short, uh, we had the, the technology and it looks very different, still does to this day. Um, and we felt to, to bring it to market, we needed to also have a different visual. And at the time, all running shoes were silver or white base with some yes. sort of um, ornament on the side. Um, I actually have a, still have a, a photograph of... Of, of like your running shoe wall. And I remember we went into a store, this must have been in 2010 or so, and just put our shoe on the wall. The store wasn't even carrying it. And it just mm-hmm. stood out and you know they were immediately like, we need these. Um, so, you know, so the risk taking or, or being different, we see this as, as really a point of differentiation um, and it has helped our thinking. Um, and then so more and more um, we, we got emboldened and, and realized that when we did things differently, um, it resonated with consumers and we were being successful whenever we tried to go the safe route, um, maybe the on color or distribution or storytelling or hires, it usually didn't really work out. And, and so um, this, you know, we call it now the explorer spirit. It's, it's probably the most important value here at on. Man, it's, there really is a homogenization of footwear in many ways. So if, if you were to try to flow into that, you would just be lost in the waves, right? Let's just keep water metaphors here going. But um, to have a standout, that's the first thing I noticed about on myself. I mean, the cloud tech is very, it's jarring. It's hard to miss on somebody's feet. As I travel around the country now, I've been in New York recently. I've been in Chicago recently in Las Vegas. These shoes are everywhere. And I mean, I've personally never liked the the silver white highly technical look of I haven't worn a pair of ASICs since I was a college athlete, which is now when on was founded just about. So it's been a while that that look doesn't draw to me. And some brands have too much of a drop from like the heel to the forefoot to where it feels like it's propelling you too much. So to have that patented tech to help push you forward, but not overly, I think, I feel like I'm being drawn forward, like pulled forward sometime. I don't like that sensation. These give you that great feeling, but also visually stands out. So being in your own lane has led to so much success for you guys. And that's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Do you, do you ever get approached where people ask you, what about are these? Well, what's funny is, um, Olivia who works it on, I approached her and I was like, what are these? Cause I was wearing Nikes at the time. And she successfully got me on the on train. I get asked frequently, you know, the logo, um, some people don't understand it's an ON. So that's the first question, especially with the monster having this enlarged logo on the side. What is that logo? What are those? And then the logo typically starts a conversation. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and that's the fun, funny bit, you know. I mean, you know, most people that I get, get approached, you know, what are these? These look cool. These look different. People will say, well, these are actually super comfortable, right? And the, you know, so it, it has the visual entry point, but then it has the, the, the feel. But to your point, I mean, we were so naive when we founded this company. You know, it's called On, which is kind of cool because it's short and you on know switch. it switches you on. And that that was the idea, you know. So the on, you know, the little lever on the O is actually a switch, you know, before you know everything became touch and buttons anyway. Um, but you know, try to Google on in the early days. And on is probably one of the most used, like, common words in, in the English language. You know, obviously we're, we're you know we're, we're German speaking, um, so for us on is special. But for for you, it doesn't mean anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as you said, uh, many people cannot read the logo. But here we are. I mean, you know, we're you know, we, you know, we're gonna pass uh, a billion, one point one billion U.S. dollars in sales this year. Um, Twelve years in the making, um, a huge following. Uh, uh, one of the few European brands to really break through in, in North America with all these challenges. So I'm always like thinking, well, maybe this is part of the draw that that people are able to discover. And you know the, the brand, and they're able. There's a little bit of a mystery around it, and you know, and then it makes it a more more compelling story. You know, um, if everything was perfect, you know, I'd be worried. Well, the it's really this talking pieces from the tooling to the logo. I'm sure you were told at some point to change the logo, or or it was recommended that you should switch it, and to not do that. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying we're quite at Rolex, but you know, eventually that logo is going to become so synonymous. No one's going to even think about the switch being, you know, this, you made the right choice sticking to your gun, so to speak, um, yeah. is, is a good move. Yeah. And then what, what's also helping is, you know, we, we have cloud tech. That's what the, the technology is called. And, you know, all the shoes are cloud something, you know, you're, you, you, you're wearing the cloud monsters. Um, so, Cloud actually came from a from a consumer, um, and it was an early um, a test person. You know, before we actually decided to produce the first ten thousand pairs, we had a, a couple samples, maybe two hundred or so, and we went to a, a local race here in, in Zurich, Switzerland, and put them on about two hundred people's feet. And one of them was this uh, German lady. Um, and she came back and made a really cool, uh, you know, test track. He went up um, and over a bridge and he could run back down. And she came back, her eyes wide open. She was like, oh, my God, these feel like like uh, running on clouds. And we're like, oh, wow, this is it. This is cool. Uh, swoosh has air. We have clouds. And, and you know, like... You know, at the time running, and you were a runner, right? If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, running is hard. Running, you know, grazing flats have like no cushioning, and every, you know, all, all runners got injured all the time. And and now here we were with like floating and on clouds, and we, well, clouds is kind of cool. And now, if you Google, if you just put it on or on shoes, like cloud comes up, and for for many people, cloud is actually. You know, just as strong as on, if not stronger. They would be like, hey, mm-hmm. yeah, I have the cloud shoes. Or, you know, when I speak to consumers in the U.S., they're all talking about the on clouds. 
Well, um, the boxes have clouds on them too. Like well, the way you so package it's, it's everything. The territory, you know, think about, you know, how, um, you know, air and, and the swoosh were, were synonymous for, for quite a long time. Um, so that's actually helped us. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we, we wouldn't have, have it any other way. That's such and I mean, it's inspiring in the fact that like you have to be able to listen to other people and not listen to other people at the same time. Right. Um, I always say that, you know, your daughter versus your best friends and have two different perspectives on the same topic. So um, staying true is something that's really I mean, that, that's worked out. But what's something, you know, it doesn't have to be too in depth. But what's something that maybe didn't um, work out so so well on the early that you've, you know either grown from or um, the brand's grown from, but what's like an early lesson? They're like, okay, that, that was maybe uh, not the best success. Let's, let's try something different. Yeah. Hey, look, building a brand takes time and you can only accelerate it to a certain point. And, and uh, we had, you know, when we started in 2010, it was a very special moment where running, running has had many highs. We're, we're just in another one right now, but 2010 was like a, high point and um, we our strategy was very clear we wanted to work directly with the best runners and 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 make the product available also uh, online at the time that was uh, you know that was not the case most running shoes didn't sell uh, most running shoe brands didn't sell their product online um, but we also wanted to work with the best retailers you know the specialty shops that live and breathe the sport and are the experts and, and runners go there for advice, but they also support the community. So those were our our go-to market angles. And about the six months in or so, Foot Locker approached us. And they had just started a, a specialty format called Run by Foot Locker. They had one store uh, in Union Square in New York City, and mm-hmm. um, they were quite uh, persistent. So uh, we, we checked out the store. We never opened the store before before going there, right? So, you know, we flew to New York, checked out the store. This must have been in, in 2011-ish or so. Um, and, you know, it was legit. All the people that worked there worked uh, in running stores before and they had all the, the, the specialty brands. And we, we opened with them and and they did extremely well. And uh, they opened uh, two more locations. So we went with them and we had a window in, in, in you know, Union Square. We were all like, oh, this is so cool. And sure enough, you know, it's Foot Locker. And they were like, well, you know, we have 4,000 stores. Can we bring this to another 100 stores? We're like, no, impossible. Um, and But, you know, and they, 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 they didn't give up. And so we went to 20 doors. Before we knew it, we had a window in Times Square. Imagine, you know, I, I hail from a, from a mountain town with 600 people here in the Alps. Um, and, you know, there I am standing in Times Square and we have an, an on window in Foot Locker. It's like, wow, we, we made it, right? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the shoes sold like crazy. Um, and they sold in places like Ventura Mall in, in, in Florida um, or in Los Angeles, Santa Monica, and so on. And then they were like, okay, well, let's go to 100 doors. Like, okay, that's cool. They wrote a really nice order. The shoes never moved. <sighs> so, you know, Chicago... Houston, um, all these, you know, all these, these, these towns, you know, it's maybe a little bit different now, but, but 10 years ago, uh, they just were not ready for a European brand that looked completely different that nobody had ever heard of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a learning for us. And, 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 uh, luckily they were very, very good partners and, you know, we agreed on, on a very slow s- sell down and, you know, that could have broken the brand right there and then. 
So, you know, not not to stretch your brand too quickly has been a huge learning. And we drive our partners crazy, you know, in the sneaker space. You know, we now have uh, emerging relationships with, with the likes of a JD or Snipes. Um, we're yeah. back at, at Foot Locker, but, you know, we're going so slowly and only with their top five locations, ten locations, um, and doing it in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big learning from the early days. I mean, just to go from the Times Square window, I was in New York recently and I visited the On flagship store that was recently opened there. And that's an experience. So I think to recover and have that pivot from you know, that footlocker feeling and to not, you know, um, rest on your laurels at that point, like, you know, Osmond all, not ended up panning out quite the same way, but for it to still come full circle and still have that window in New York, it's still very awesome. Fantastic still story. A nice memory. It is, man. That's, I mean, from a town of 600 to you'll walk by 600 people in Times Square in five minutes. Uh, such a, you know, a change. Uh, yeah, it still freaks me out, by the way, Robbie. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's a lot of America at one time, right? Just Times Square is just a lot going on. Um, so, I mean, so you've been to America a few times. Um, you, I, before we started recording, I believe you said you were um, a foreign exchange student in Wisconsin in high school. So you've you've seen, um, you know, Americans in their shoes, uh, especially with the feedback from the L.A. market versus like the Houston market and how different that can be. What kind of overlap do you see between, you know, your your performance consumers and, you know, the the quote unquote more sneakerhead consumers, the shoes you're carrying and like bird off Goodman and Kith and places like that. Um, do you see any overlap between those type of consumers? Like highly technical. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're, we're at the very interesting uh, moment right now in, in sneaker culture, where performance drives fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been coming for a while. And then I think the pandemic accelerated it and, and so the, I think that the, the, the sneaker industry or the fashion industry in general has overdone a little bit by like kind of just exploring the catalog and then like, you know, like faking it and then you have mm-hmm. all these, these lookalike technologies that, that uh, people are like, just, hey, no, you know, that's not authentic anymore. And then what, what, is, what is the tech? Um, and so when, when we came onto the scene, you know, like we didn't develop cloud tech to be a visible technology it, it's just, just what it is it needs to be visible to work you know if we hide it yeah. um, it just, just won't won't work um, the, these elements have have to move um, and and so the you know when 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 this moment happened that fashion sneaker culture was was very interested in, in, in more more performance we were right there mm-hmm. with with something that's that's extremely visible and you know, you mentioned uh, Kith. You're actually wearing a Kith shirt. Um, we we have a very cool partnership with with Ronnie. And actually, um, just these days, we're releasing a, a collab between uh, Roger Federer and Ronnie. Um, yes. So so that has extremely you know worked out very very well. But that was never um, our goal. Um, you know, we, we 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 were born as a brand to help injured runners overcome. Uh, their problems and then just help generally more people move um, more easily, more swiftly and have more fun doing so. Um, and that eventually evolved into our current uh, vision statement or mission statement to ignite the human spirit through movement. And, you know, just tapping into that moment when when you're moving, you're actually a bit more positive, happier, 
and you have uh, more creative thoughts and hopefully um, you know, if all if all people were in that state of mind, we would, you know, the world would be a better place. It um, truly and, would and, be. You know, <laughs> we had a moment though, Robbie, um, early on, when because the shoes looked different, you know, maybe it was a bit that that DC influence there and the visible tech. Um, a lot of, you know, we were on on very serious runners' feet, and they were like, "Your shoes are great, but they don't look they don't look like running shoes." And then we had. Okay, time out. Did you know that we have an entire network of podcasts? That's right. It's called the Retrospect Podcast Network, and it includes a number of shows that you might like if you're enjoying this one. First up is for the F1 fans. Exhaust Notes is a Formula One podcast that's the perfect balance for the new fans joining the sport and the tried-and-true diehard F1 fans who've been there all along. New episodes of Exhaust Notes drop every Tuesday on all of your favorite podcast platforms and at exhaustnotes.fm. We've also got a show for the fitted hat collectors out there called Crown & Stitch, as a baseball fan, I've been obsessed with hats for as long as I can remember, and the number of people collecting now has gone through the roof. It reminds me of sneakers back in the day, and I absolutely love seeing creativity of the new releases. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode of Crown & Stitch on all of your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Stitch. If you follow me personally on social platforms at Nick Engvall, you probably already know I first dipped my toes in the podcast game back in 2015 with a show called Outside the Box. Originally hosted by my friends Brandon Edler and Jacques Slade, it eventually evolved into a show with Tiffany Beers, Jacques Slade, and myself, and then into an interview series with some amazingly creative guests. While the show has gone through a lot of changes throughout the years, and it's currently on hiatus, a lot of people have been enjoying past episodes recently, and I'm excited to say I have new episodes in the works for the new year. We'll be adding new podcasts to the Retrospect Network in the coming months as well. In fact, if you'd like to advertise on any of the shows, be a guest on any of the shows, or even talk to us about getting your own podcast started, reach out to us at podcast at sneakerhistory.com. And find out more about the podcast network at retrospectpodcast.com. Um, architects, designers that that were, started wearing on products for fashion. And we hated it. We're like, how dare they take a performance product that, that's made for the racetrack and, and, and wear it, you know, with, with jeans. And, you know, and there was a moment in 2016 when we had designed a product called the Cloud, which is now one of our best-selling models, and you'll see it on everybody's feet in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, Young Tool. Um, that shoe was designed for Nicola Spirig, and she won a silver medal with it in the uh, Rio Olympics uh, triathlon. And it has these bungee laces, so she can slip in after the bike ride and, 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 not, and you know, not lose any time. That same, that same shoe was on the podium in the Olympics in 2016 and on the red carpet um, on the feet uh, at the Oscars when uh, um, Mr. Lubetsky won his third Oscar for the Revenant. So that, that's the moment, you know, where, where performance and fashion came together. And we were mm-hmm. like, wow, something's happening here. Um, and this was never intentional. And, and, and here we are. And, uh, you know, like with every, every brand, um, probably... Half of our products are worn for fashion rather than, rather than for the original purpose, but that's totally fine. And we, of course, have some products like the Roger Cloud Nova that were designed um, with, with running technology, but to be worn in the street. Yeah, I, I brought my Novas to New York, and that's what I wore around town. Um, 
it's so funny. I think that the injured runner and the long-term sneakerhead who's been wearing uncomfortable shoes for a long time, there probably is a lot of overlap there because you've been punishing your feet to look fashionable and, you know, and injured athletes punish themselves many times over. So that overlap definitely exists. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny, Rob, you know, I'm, I hope I'm not oversharing you, but, um, no. you know, uh, uh, Stan has a little bit of a, you know, an issue with Roger because, you know, like obviously the, the Stan uh, Smith uh, franchise is kind of important uh, to him. Yeah. Um, and very well deserved, like a man's election, but um, the bigger the shoe is much bigger than the man right now. Um, and, and, and so, you know, he, whenever he sees these, he's Roger, he's like, well, you know, but you make shoes that are, that are very similar looking, you know, He's a, he's, yeah. you know, he's an older generation for him. Like, yeah, well, it's a white, white uh, tennis sneaker, right? But the tech that's inside and just how much more comfortable they are. So we've had, you know, the you know the, the Stan Smith was probably the only shoe that you could wear, um, you know, five, seven, eight years ago with a suit. So mm-hmm. a lot of people that were um, in catering, or, you know, the high scale events, or you say you went to a car show where wearing Stan Smiths, right? So they're all they all switch to Rogers now because they're way more comfortable. They're more comfortable, um, and it's just the white and green. I believe Stan Smith was the number one ranked in 1972. So things have changed um, since since that. And I just want to end that if you're doing a collab with Ronnie Feig, Roger Federer. Robert Falky, the RF just it fits very well across the board. A lot of cool people with RF um, as their initials. Um, I mean, so with the fashion, the the technology aspects, those are two very important parts of On. But I think what On's really been focusing um, in a positive way, um, a lot of energy towards is your sustainability and how On affects the world that has to have these shoes on it, right? Um, so this conversation was kind of brought about by, um, you know, a new initiative you guys are going through right now. Um, it's called the Clean Cloud. And from what I understand, I'm going to give a really high level of it and I'll let you fill in the blanks. Um, you take the carbon emissions that are already being made. Um, you're transforming that into um, you're collecting it and getting it into uh, a liquid form, which you dehydrate to a gas and that gas is made into EVA foam, which EVA industry-wise is the midsole component of footwear brands across the world. So this could potentially, if if you guys are successful, have a really monumental impact on how I would say 100% of shoes are cushioned, right? So why don't you give us a little bit more insight about um, Clean Cloud? Well, absolutely. And I hope your chemistry teacher from high school uh, listens to this because, I mean, he would be so proud of how he did describe this. Um, yeah, so um, joking aside, look, sustainability is, is something that's very, very dear to us. It's always been, we're, you know, we're, we're from Switzerland, uh, we're, you know, we're the nation that probably has the cleanest water and does the most recycling. But there was also a bit of a frustration because when we when we came onto the industry, we basically had to work with the materials and the factories that that uh, everybody else uses, and and only once we got to a certain scale and and we we basically fixed all our initial quality issues and all that, we were able to to start tackling um, sustainability. So we've been on a journey for a couple of years now, where we're trying to um, you know replace every part in our products with better materials, better manufacturing technologies. Um, but, you know, better design. We have uh, one product out there 
that is designed to be recycled. We call it the Cyclone. It's a subscription-based model, so you can actually, you can actually just basically running as a service. Um, so we're, we're already doing a lot. But with, with Clean Cloud, this is like on a very, very different scale. So this came about um, about five years ago. I, I learned that um, uh, some, some uh, people were doing fuel for cars and, uh, and planes from carbon emissions that they pulled from the air. I and I was back. I was like, wow. I mean, obviously climate change is, is our, you know, our generation's biggest problem and we have to resolve it. And and so here's the car industry and the air, airline industry that are actually taking their own emissions and they're turning them back into fuel that they can use. That's pretty rad. And then I had this moment, you know, this aha moment where it's like, wait a minute, if you can make fuels chemically and knew that much that's very very similar to what we use for plastics mm-hmm. you know spoiler alert for everybody here listening today and as a sneaker freaker 99 percent of what you buy is made from petrol you know that's it's you know it's it's a very dirty industry if you look at it not not just getting the oil out of the ground but then the whole process um, uh, all the way to to a final product, and you know, then putting it to, into uh, into the, it into a landfill or burning it is not very clean either. So, how do we change that? And so, the dream was born. How can can we make a shoe out of capture carbon? And and so we went um, to some universities, um, and pretty much pretty soon, like people were like, yeah, this that's theoretically possible. Nobody has done it. Uh, you know, and, and they're very similar. You know, very uh, 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 established chemical processes that that you could use. But um, you know, once that was established, we realized there was no lab that could do it. There were no reactors that could do it. And and before we knew it, we were like, oh well, let's build a reactor. So we we found a company in in Germany that that built the reactor for us. We spent about I don't know half a million dollars. And we got a reactor. And the reactor is literally this big. It's about uh, maybe an inch, <laughs> oh. an inch, oh, a wow. square inch, um, for three hundred thousand. And, uh, and we we used we used some um, captured carbon um, from the air um, to 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 run it through the through the um, uh, reactor. It took us about three months, and we had literally like five drops of the material that we needed. We're like, well, this is, this is not going to be scalable. So, you know, we went back to the lab and we went back to more universities. And, and finally, we, we, found, we found a process that works. And so what we're actually doing now um, to make it very tangible, um, rather than pulling CO2 from the air, which is only at about a 4% um, uh, concentration, we go to a chimney of a steel factory. And as uh, many of you will know, steel factories and cement factories are some of the biggest emitter obviously along with with airplanes and so on um and we go so we go went to a steel factory and we, we actually pull carbon monoxide from their chimney just before it reacts with the the o2 uh, out there to 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 form co2 um and so it's a very efficient way of capturing carbon and then we go through all the trouble that 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 you mentioned and we get eva um, and EVA is not just used for midsoles, but it's actually used in every car, in every airplane, in every mattress that you have in your home, um, in packaging. So this is a, you know, a, a huge market. Um, and, and so with 
showing that we can actually turn it into a, a shoe, an outsole for a shoe, um, and now investing with others in in um, scaling this technology to potentially millions of of, of tons of this material. Um, you know, we want to make this material available for all industries, not just the footwear industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if we if we manage to do that, the costs will come down, and uh, you know the. Everybody that is in climate research um, uh, has agreed that we're not going to reach our uh, warming targets, you know, curb curb warming at 1.5 or 2 degrees uh, Celsius. But but we will actually have to remove uh, CO2 that's already in the atmosphere to do that. And, and, you know, what what are you going to do with it? And we say, why not make shoes and why not make cars and airplanes? Um, And and this is the first step. That is, I mean... Not to get into an entire climate change episode, but what a lot of conventional thinking is, let's make a new means to fix the problem. And what I like about the clean cloud is steel and concrete is already, they're already polluting now. Those things are already happening as we speak. So how can we, like you said, curb those from hitting and getting into the atmosphere instead of trying to to reinvent a new wheel? to fix a problem, you're fixing a broken wheel or you're helping to fix a broken wheel. And I think that's where not only in a footwear space, but so many companies have, you know, statements and they have initiatives and they have these things, but um, they can change packaging, all these smaller details. But when you're capturing an actual polluter and doing something positive with it, that's something I truly have not heard of, not just in a footwear space, but and, and a business space in a long time. That's really, really cool. And you're going to start using it um, when you can, you know, across as many on shoes as you can. It's not just going to be one specialized model. Idea. Exactly. And this, I mean, this, this is where, where it becomes interesting. First of all, the, the foam that we made out of uh, the, the capture carbon is actually a high performance foam. And, and, you okay. know, it's already as good, if not better than what we use in most of our product. And so, the you know the compound is ready to go into millions of on pairs, right? Um, the problem is that we need to build the factories and the pipelines to to bring the, the, the capture carbon and then the ethanol to 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 um, you know the compound maker, and that that requires you know uh, between you know a couple hundred million to to some billion in investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're you know uh, part of a, of a conglomerate we're working with. Um, uh, an Austrian company called Borealis. Um, they're they're uh, a leader in in uh, both compounds uh, for plastics, but also in sustainability. And then uh, actually an American company called Lancetech um, that uh, is capturing the carbon. And guess what? You know these bad guys, the polluters, the steel factories, the cement factories. They are actually part of the solution. They are so happy that somebody's interested in their emissions, and and you know they're going out of their way, and they're allowing people, um, companies like Lancetech in this case, to actually install um, these filters. And basically, we're, we have access to a, a free resources. You know, if you think about that, all the waste that we generate is a free resources, and 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 we feel, hey, can we cap, tap into that? And and from that, you know, moving beyond climate, we can use landfill. Um, to make uh, footwear. We can use, and, and that's coming very soon as well, 
um, for example, post-consumer oil. So, you know, frying oil is for McDonald's to make footwear. Delicious. And then the next, the next thing is, you know, once we have a pair of ons that's made of um, carbon uh, emissions, let's bring that pair back and make another pair out of it rather than throwing mm-hmm. it away. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of change coming. And the only way to, to make it happen is to do it at scale and do it fast. So, you know, we're, you know one of the, 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 the beliefs that we have is we're not just going to make a concept and say, well, this is what potentially the future holds. But we're always going to do it with a view of doing it at scale. And with Cyclone, we now have thousands of subscribers that are um, running in a plant-based, uh, fully circular shoe that you cannot even buy, but it's a subscription. Um, yeah. You know, and, and everybody, you know, told us it's impossible. So we we're, we're have we have this moment that we feel almost like back in 2010 when we when we founded the brand. Everybody tells us, "Hey, this is not possible," and we do it anyway. And consumers are excited, industry gets excited. Uh, you know, we actually get the the costs to a level where it's like, "Well, this is actually feasible." You know, I'll, I'll share this with you. The first uh, clean cloud shoe that that we just finished is a seven figure dollar uh, amount. It's a very expensive shoe. You know, you add the retail markup of about eight x. Um, you know, that's you know that's a thirty million dollar shoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably not gotten that many going to be sold at Foot Locker, but. Uh, we need need to bring this cost curve down by making millions of pairs, and then it's going to be 160 bucks. That's so cool. I mean, just the five year to kind of get the clean cloud in place, and then the cyclone that doesn't happen overnight. So it shows that from the beginning, if you're just doing easy math, 2010 to now, you've been thinking to some degree sustainability or environmental impact very very early on. You know, every I bought a pair of shorts. You guys had a sale on the website a couple of weeks ago. I bought some new running shorts. The packaging was minimum, very little plastic. Um, the shoes come, not a lot of extra packaging in it. Um, I believe the Cyclone is 50% um, more uh, environmentally friendly than uh, a typical on shoe, if I remember my research correctly. But just the steps went from smaller to bigger and now you're at such a big impasse with the clean cloud that's an amazing progression for only 12 years in existence wow yeah like you know at on we're now about 1500 people and you know the number one question we got asked over the last what would say four or five years is okay what do we do on sustainability so everybody here shows up uh, and they're not just here to earn a paycheck, but they want to have an impact. And as we, you know, we, the Swiss are very methodal, methodal, whatever. It's a hard word. Methodical, um, you know, yeah. Methodical. Thank you. Um, you know, so so we've we've spoken to the researchers. Um, and we've collaborated with universities, and then what you realize is that the solutions exist. You just have to find them. But then our role as a brand, that this is not on the consumer or anybody else. This is us as brands, as an industry. We have to scale it. We have to invest to make these technologies ready for the consumer and affordable. And that's, that's currently the stage that we're in. And, and you know, we, we're running out of time, so we need, need to do it fast. And when we realized on a premium product, we're an innovation brand first. We have a consumer that buys on because we're these two things. 
um, we can do it. And, you know, our consumers are willing to maybe pay a premium. Maybe they're willing to pay 20 bucks more initially. Um, and and we, can, we can bridge that gap and, and, and make sure that the time lapsing between these technologies being dreamed up somewhere in a university or in a spin-off to actually everybody in the street wearing something that no longer comes from petroleum and that is then being recycled. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our contribution. And, you know, if you're not doing, who else will? That's, I mean, that's a great question to kind of leave listeners on because hearing that from a, a co-founder of a brand, um, that's a question consumers ask a lot. And it sounds like On's taking that initiative I hate saying this on directly, right? You're, you're taking it on, uh, and that's just uh, not this, not the level of uh, self awareness that you hear a lot from brands. So that's Casper. That's so refreshing, and this was such a fun conversation. I hope anybody who listened got to know a little bit more about you, the history of on, um, to not be afraid to stick to your gut and do what you think is best for your brand, to not scale too quickly, and to do good for the environment. That's a really fun and full episode (laughs) thanks Robbie for the inspired discussion no man um please um listeners make sure you're following at on running on major platforms go check out on running's guided tours on youtube um i found that a couple days ago um you have a youtube segment where you have um an on runner taking you through um what city was i in i want to say i was in switzerland he was taking me through a run through Switzerland, and um, it's really fun. Check that out if you want to get some inspired running routes. But um, I'm Robbie. He's been Casper. This has been a great conversation about On, and thank you so much for listening. Everybody have a great day. Ciao. Take care. Okay. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.